coming up next on the health hustle. Pay for better friends. So let me, let me qualify this. Never be afraid to invest in yourself. Never be afraid to invest in your business. And what ends up happening is that proximity is power. As Tony Robbins says, do not be afraid to invest in events, masterminds, experiences that are going to put you in the same room with people that are ahead of where you want to be. Because I would say, and if I were like to really like link everything, everything that has happened in my business has in some way, shape or form come from a relationship. And when I struggled for the first three years of my business, so 2006 to 2009, poverty line income for three years is when I decided I was going to do everything by myself and I was going to be a hermit. I didn't need to talk to anyone. It didn't work out well. The next year, 2010, I said, I'm going to start going to some events. I'm going to hire my first coach. And that's exactly what happened. I paid more for my coach than I made in the previous year. And I'm not talking like this coach was not $150,000. Okay. Like it was nowhere close to that. So in my experience, just do what you can to put yourself in environments around other successful people, because you will rise up to that level and it's going to accelerate your growth in a dramatic fashion. So maybe that's local meetups. Maybe it's joining a coaching group or whatever. Just put yourself in those environments because you will become your environments. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is that you're listening to the show. Hello and thank you and welcome to The Health Hustle. I'm your host, Corey Hibben, and on this episode, I get a chance to sit down with the amazing Yuri, who owns Healthpreneurs, which is the leading coaching company for health and fitness professionals who want to build a thriving online coaching business. And I cannot say enough good things about this guy and this conversation. We get into what keeps Yuri motivated for a guy who's done all the things, the the success, the cars, the business, the wife, the kids, the all the amazing things that he's done with his life. What keeps him motivated? It was the very first thing I was actually super curious about, and he has a pretty great answer for that one. We also get into the number one marketing mistake that people make when they're trying to start a health business, the exact formula that he uses for his perfect client pipeline, which is something that he runs all of his clients through, how to figure out your marketing messaging, how to write your ticket to freedom, and so much more. If you haven't already, do us a huge favor and please subscribe and write us a review. This show is about helping health and fitness professionals to build a business that fits your lifestyle. And by giving us a review, it helps other people find the show and join us on that journey. Also, if you're looking for marketing tips about designing a website and marketing your health business, sign up for my Two Tips Tuesday newsletter at coreyhigh.com. Without further ado, let's go. So you obviously have a lot of success. New York Times bestseller, pro athlete. You sold a seven-figure, I think multiple seven-figure businesses. And obviously now you're doing this healthpreneur thing. And so my first question, honestly, is what keeps you going and what keeps you fired up? I, I, somebody once told me you're doing all the things, right? Family, career, wealth, happiness, all of it. What just keeps you fired up and moving forward? I love the game. I love the game of business. I love the game of getting better. And I like new challenges. That's really, I guess, what drives me. And at the same time, I like seeing how far I can push the envelope in terms of the impact that we can create in the world. So that's, I guess, the first thing. The second thing is I realized many years ago that as much as I love, you know, having downtime, you know, going on vacation with my family, playing tennis, hanging on the beach for a little bit, I'll go crazy if I do that for more than a couple of days. And the first, like the first thing that comes to me when I'm in those scenarios is how do I add value to someone's life? How can I contribute? How can I share? And that kept coming up over and over again. And I was like, yeah, I can never retire. I mean, I just, I'm going to work until I die. That's pretty much the way it's going to be. And that's just, I love it. I love what I do. And I just want to continue getting better and growing. And I played a lot of video games when I was young. And it's kind of like that with life now. It's just like, all right, cool. I got past level one. Now let's get to level two. Let's beat Bowser. Let's go to the next level. That's that for me, that's, that's life. So it's just getting better. And it's a, it's a fun game that in the process of helping other people, you know, I can get better and help more people and, and it's great. So that's, that's really what drives me. Yeah. It sounds like if I was to put a word on it, it'd be just fulfillment. I think, uh, I think it was Simon Sinek that talks about the infinite game yep, in totally. that. I mean, there is, what, what is the end game? Like you retire on a beach and sit. I was, I'm in uh, Orlando, Florida, like I said, uh, before the call <laughs> and I went over to Tampa Bay to the Bay area there. And, uh, 
and was sitting on the beach and I couldn't sit for more than like a half hour. And I was like, I need to go kick a soccer ball or hit a volleyball or just do something to feel like I'm, I don't know, progressing. I think it's, I think there's a certain mentality or personality type that comes with entrepreneurship of just always kind of wanting to see where our edges are and finding mm-hmm. kind of the next level of how you can kind of push that edge and find a new layer. Um, what is it about health professionals specifically that makes you want to serve them? Well, I am one first, first and foremost. I mean, I got into this space pretty early on. I lost my hair when I was 17 to an autoimmune condition. And that was my like kick in the butt to be like, huh, maybe we should explore this. And I played professional soccer uh, when I was in my early twenties and loved soccer growing up. So I had this combination of like sport fitness and then like, Oh, health issue. And that really spurred me into studying kinesiology and holistic nutrition. So first and foremost, like that's, I am a health professional and I, and I love the transformation that we're able to provide in people's lives. Like the, whether it's a physical transformation, a mental transformation, uh, helping people achieve their goals, helping them be more confident. Like, I mean, that's everything, you know? So that's who I am to my core. And although I could serve a lot of other industries, I was like, no, like I want to help health professionals. And I know that that comes with certain challenges that I think there's a a bit of a mindset in our space where there's like this martyrdom, like I want to help everyone but myself and not in all cases, but there's many of them, which I think is, it's very noble and it's great. And I understand that it could be, you know, maybe a little bit easier to work with, again, I'm just generalizing here, but certain markets where they're, let's say a little bit more monetarily savvy. But for me, it's like part of my mission is to, is to really like help health professionals step into their power, help them recognize that you've got magic, dude. Like if you can help transform someone's body, their health, their mindset, how do you even put a price tag on that? Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, part of my mission on this planet is just to, to touch as many of them as I can to help them really step into their greatness so they can help more people. And that's really what drives me like in this space specifically. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. Obviously, somebody that used to be a health professional as well, I can just see how we so often uh, undervalue what we have to offer. I mean, obviously, as you, I think you would agree is that health is definitely as cliche as it sounds our greatest wealth. And so it's cool to be able to serve the people that are providing that level of value to others in the industry. Tell me a little bit more about some more like practical things. Let's let's get practical because you're obviously a very smart and knowledgeable guy when it comes to business side of things. Obviously, is health as well with your books of writing about health issues specifically. But let's talk a little bit more about the business and marketing side. What would you say is like the biggest mistakes that you see health and professionals doing in the industry? I think one of them is not taking responsibility for the marketing and sales of their business. I, I think it's, and obviously you, you speak a bit more to the brick and mortar worlds, which I think is, is great because I see a lot of times like health professionals, many of them become successful in spite of themselves. And what I mean by that is if you have a clinic, people walk by and they see your sign and they walk in and that's awesome. Right. And you provide amazing service and then word of mouth happens and then their friends and family come in and that's how it grows. And I think that's awesome. I work in the world of helping practitioners and coaches grow online where they have to be a lot more proactive with their marketing because no one's going to see your website online unless you have a huge following and just, you know, thousands of pages of content. So the whole like field of dreams, build it and they will come, whether that's a website or Instagram, you know, account or whatever it's really challenging. And I think you have to learn the skill of how do I get my message in front of the right people? And how do I tell a story to them that they can see themselves in and build some type of rapport? And that's not something I think that is a smart move to outsource 100% from day one. I think at some point, you know, as you grow your business and as you have those fundamentals down, you can certainly have other people, you know, work their magic in that world. But I think I've seen so many health professionals, friends of mine, you know, colleagues, people in the space, they're like, I don't want to handle this stuff. They just give it off to someone else. And it's like, geez, like you don't even have your messaging down. Like, I understand if you want to delegate some of the marketing, but you have to understand like what you stand for, what you stand against, who you're speaking to. So I think like the premature delegation uh, with respect to marketing is, I think it's a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of an issue I see because I think marketing really is the lifeblood of your business. Like if you know how to generate demand 
for what you do, you know, you'll never be hungry. Like, you know, using that as a, as an analogy, but I think that's one of the big things. I think and along those lines is this, and again, I'm speaking a bit more specifically to kind of the world that I inhabit, which is more the virtual practice side of things is, and this is, this is interesting because a lot of practitioners will spend five, 10, 15, 20, 30, 50, $60,000 a month in lease and overhead in their brick and mortar. And when some of them come online, they're like, oh, I got to pay $97 a month for ClickFunnels. Eh, I don't know if I want to do that. So they kind of <laughs> take this, like, I'm going to do everything for a free approach. And I'm like, dude, like you can't build a sustainable business for free, right? At some level, like our whole approach is helping practitioners and coaches in our space attract clients with paid advertising. Because if you can learn that skill of, okay, Facebook or YouTube, I'll give you a dollar. And in return, they give you a client. So $1 for $5 or whatever, you know, the math ends up being, you don't need marketing budgets. You don't ever need to worry about, you know, like, oh, we can only spend this much money because that's our budget. It's like, you could spend an infinite amount of money if you're producing a profit. And that takes time and skill to develop. Obviously the right guidance helps, but I think those are two fundamental things that most health professionals need to take more ownership over. Totally. I love that. And obviously somebody who also does marketing, I can totally see the same, same thread line of, uh, same issues. And, uh, just for, just so everybody knows, uh, definitely both, um, brick and mortar and online. We have both that listen to the show. Let's get a little bit more into that. This is obviously something that you've specialized and you're very, very good at. I believe you call it the perfect client pipeline. Like, mm-hmm. can we give people maybe just like the spark notes version? You don't have to give all your secrets, but kind of give an uh, idea of what that might I'll be. Everything. I don't mind. Right. <laughs> yeah. Go for it. So the perfect client pipeline is, so the reason I can give it all away is because trying to figure it out by yourself is close to impossible, right? Because there's so many little nuances, but I'll like, I'll hold nothing back. So the perfect client pipeline, just a bit of context. So my initial health business, I did everything like, like the lead magnet funnels, the, the summits, we had sub, we had a hundred different products and funnels when I sold the company. And it was just a complexity nightmare, at least for me, which is part of the reason why I sold it. And of those hundred different things, two or three really were home runs. And when I started HealthBurner in 2016, I said, I'm never going to do that again, but what worked the best for me? And it came down to webinars because I really enjoyed teaching and I, and I enjoyed the format of presenting something once that could just on 24 seven autopilot continue providing value for other people. So the perfect client pipeline was really born out of that. And it was the essence of, okay, well, as much as I love content and as much time and effort as I had spent developing content in my previous business, it took me 10 years to build a YouTube following of 300,000 people. It took us 10 years to have 1.4 million visitors to our blog. I don't have that kind of time. I don't want to do that again, nor do I want to teach that to other people. So I said, well, what would be the fastest way to get where I want to go? So I said, okay, definitely a webinar. And how do I get people to that webinar? Well, if I do all the content stuff again, it's going to take forever. So the first step in the perfect client pipeline is a process we call predictable prospecting. So instead of manually prospecting or spending all day on social media or manually blogging our way to traffic, which takes forever, predictable prospecting is leveraging paid media or said otherwise Facebook advertising in our case to get the right people into your pipeline, which is another word for a funnel, as quickly as possible. The reason it's so important is because Facebook, which also owns Instagram, is pretty obviously a pay-to-play platform. 2% of most of our pages, so most of us who have followers, 2% of that following is going to see anything we post organically. So that's kind of like, that's not really reassuring in terms of what we're going to spend. 2% of the people that already follow you? It's crazy. Yeah. So if you have a thousand followers, again, it depends on your engagement, but statistically Facebook had said it's about 2%. Ew. So it's like, okay, 20 people out of a thousand are going to see this stuff. Nice. So essentially, and this happened many years ago is they moved to more of an advertising type of platform. So that's great because when you advertise on Facebook, it's a bartering agreement. You're saying, okay, Facebook, I want to reach, uh, let's say women who want to lose weight between 30 and 45 years old. And Facebook's like, cool. How much you want to give me? They're like, I don't know. How about 20 bucks a day? Facebook's like, cool. We'll show it to this many people. And then what happens is you have a message or an ad. And in our world, an ad is not 
like click here for 10% off. It's, it's more of a story. It's more content. It's a little bit longer. It adds value in the feed. And that when it's doing its thing, that's running 24 seven, like until it no longer works and you can turn it off. So I look at Facebook advertising as my publishing platform. It's like anything I want to share. It's like, just put some money behind it. Let's amplify the message. If you want to reach more people and the numbers make sense, you just spend more money on Facebook ads, right? And that's, that's really the beauty of this. So predictable prospecting, we leverage a Facebook ad or many Facebook ads to get our message in front of the right people. That works auto, like automatically. From that ad, we invite people to a webinar or masterclass, whatever you want to call it. And we call that, pro, we call that step teach to sell. And we call it teach to sell, not teach to teach, because when people do not pay, they don't pay attention. Mm. So if you were to give away all of your how-to, people are like, you know, frantically writing everything down, the likelihood of them doing anything with that is like 0%, unless they're like the 1% of people who would do anything. So a lot of, not a lot, but some people have a bit of a mindset issue with that because it's like, well, if, if I don't give away my best stuff, like, aren't they going to not, they're not going to get any value there. The reality is you want to show know-how with know-how, if that makes sense. So you want to show know-how, so K-N-O-W mm. with no H-O-W. Got okay. it. So what I mean by that is I like to think of a webinar as a documentary without the production value. A documentary, the way I see them, is somebody has a opinion or philosophy or perspective that they want to share with an audience. And that whole hour long documentary is to support that. That's essentially what a webinar is. Like if you think of, I don't know if you've seen the movie game changers. Oh yeah. I don't know about you, but I was like, I'm going to go vegetarian again after watching that. Right. And that's what a good webinar does, but it's not like the movie didn't talk about here's how to make a green smoothie. Here's how to eat more. You know, here's the, the best salad recipe. It was all about the what and the why. So a good webinar is really about shifting people's belief around certain topics. And if they've done stuff in the past that hasn't worked and you know what you're talking about, they're going to be more open-minded to receiving that. And then from there, that's the second step. The third step is, well, what happens at the end of the webinar? Well, what happens is, well, if this is making sense for you and you want to have a conversation about how we could possibly apply this in your life, Next step is to book a call. Before that, they would essentially just go to a page that's an application, fill out a few questions. And then once that's done, they would obviously have a call booked in with you or, or someone on your team. Sorry, my dog is, is barking. You're good. And that's, that's the four-step pipeline. And it's, it seems overly simplistic. And the magic really is in the nuances. Like there's a lot of small details in this, like the process of the messaging, all that kind of stuff that needs to get dialed in, right? But that's the beauty of this is that it's very simple and it's the same pipeline that you know thousands of our clients we've taught over the years. It's generated more than $217 million in their businesses. They've gone on to help collectively hundreds of thousands of people and they all do that one thing. And I tell them like, do not do anything else until you've done at least a million dollars in revenue in your business. Because like the content marketing, all that other stuff, I'm a huge, huge content guy. I love creating content, but I remind my clients, do not copy what I do. Because just as a reminder, when I started Healthpreneur, there was no YouTube channel. There was no podcast. There was no Instagram. We did nothing other than our perfect client pipeline until we you know, got to where we wanted to go. Now, because I have a team around me and I like, we have stuff dialed in. Yeah, like I can create some YouTube videos, but our YouTube videos get like, you know, 2,600 people follow me on YouTube. I'm like, I'm not paying the bills. I'm not paying my team with that. Like that's not generating business, but that's a 10 year down the road plan. But if I had to feed myself and pay my team from day one with that, we'd be out of business. So the whole focus is on build the machine, build the machine that will then work for you even when you're not working. So 90% of the perfect client pipeline is pretty much automated. Like it takes, you know, maybe a few weeks to get it all built and like up. Everything is automated. You're going to monitor the performance and the metrics and make some adjustments here and there. And the only thing in terms of you investing your time in afterwards 
is on the phone with prospective clients. And then obviously delivering to those clients in the back end. So that's, that's really what it looks like. That's how it works. I mean, it's um, pretty straightforward. I, in my mind, in my years, it's the simplest path to the top of the It's the fastest path. And again, I, I understand there's a thousand different business models, but in, the, in, in our context of a higher ticket coaching program, it, like there's nothing really that I've seen come close to it. I like that a lot. And you're definitely speaking to my audience in terms of, I would say more people than not listening to the show are probably earlier stages of their business. And so they're like a lot of people trying to get more clients. And um, so just to like recap people, essentially it's attracting eyeballs and attention through advertisements. In your case specifically, it sounds like Facebook, Um, bringing them to some sort of webinar, some way where you're educating them, adding value to their life in some way. And then that's hopefully leading to a call. Did I miss anything on that kind of step by step? Just like a, an application before the call, but yeah, sure. that's, that's Perfect. the four-step process. Yeah, I love that a lot. What would you say, obviously, as somebody who... That's, that's, I love this because like, this is like the earlier stages of like building uh, some way to be able to control the lever of how many people you have coming in, mm-hmm. in the earlier stages, while you're also talking about having content for the long game of more organic things that eventually will get ranked on Google um, and other things like that. What do you recommend for somebody in terms of messaging? You touched on that idea of having the right messaging of, cause like, it would be one thing if I could just like write a f- Facebook post and then run a bunch of ads to it, but obviously that's not going to work. What do you recommend to people of like, how do you hone in on what kind of message you should deliver to somebody? I, I think the first, I think messaging, to be honest, takes time. I think it takes time for people to truly honor their voice because what, 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 is, what ends up happening a lot of people bite their tongues because they don't want to offend people or they, they want to be a bit more vanilla. But if you really start speaking the truth, it's going to start pissing some people off. But at the same time, it's also going to attract your like raving fans. So not to say that you're trying to purposely polarize or piss people off, like that may not happen, but everyone's different. Like I have very strong opinions around things, other people less so. And I'm not saying like, you have to be like me. It's like, be like you but just really figure out who you are. Like, what do you stand for? What do you stand against? What are your philosophies around things you believe in? And I think at a high level, marketing really should be about sharing more of what you believe than what you know. I think one of the biggest challenges that health professionals that I've seen run into is they want to give away so much content. like, 10 ways to do push-ups, three ways to use coconut oil, a lot of like the very academic, pedantic, blah, blah, blah stuff. But no one cares about that stuff, right? They want to see like, what was the drama that happened last night in Kim Kardashian's life? <laughs> I'm not saying you have to create a fictitious drama, but let people in to like, who are you? Like, let them know. And I think if you share your beliefs around whatever you know, that is, even if it has nothing to do with your business, you like, it's amazing what happens. Like people will come out of the woodworks and they'll start sending you messages to be like, oh my God, I'm so glad you love donuts too, or whatever it is, right? So I think just sharing more of what you believe more so than what you know, but in, in, in the context of what you know, think about what are the major content pillars that you want to be known for? So like in my world, for me, for our business, it's group coaching instead of one-on-one, it's premium price, it's paid, adver- it's, you know, paid acquisition. It's really like, so going back to premium price, like this whole money mindset, we have about five or six core content pillars that most of what we talk about fall into those. And we just keep repeating those same core messages over and over and over again in different ways. Because I think all of us want to become specialists or we should because specialists are better paid Most people would rather work with a specialist instead of a generalist. And in order to be a specialist, people have to know what you specialize in. So if you think of this analogy, like what is the drawer in the mental cabinetry in someone's mind that you want to occupy, right? So when they think of X, they think of you, right? Like this is the underwear drawer. This is the, I need to lose weight drawer. I think of this, you know, particular person. So you have to beat that drum. And that's why, you know, it's from a content perspective, being clear about, you know, those content pillars. And then later on top of that is really like who you are as a person, your beliefs about, you know, life, different topics. 
and, and just really letting people know who you are and sharing more of that. And it's, that's tough sometimes for health professionals who want to come across as all like prim and proper and polished. And I have like 20 letters behind my name. No one cares about that stuff, right? Like they know you're good at what you do, but like talk about the stuff that they don't see. That's, that's where you're really going to start to get people coming towards you and like bees, like, you know, bees to honey. So that's what, when I, when I talk about messaging, that's where it starts. And then the second piece is you have to understand your market better than they do. Because at the end of the day, no one, like as much as we talk about the stuff I just talked about, no one cares about you. No one cares about me. They care about themselves. So if you can get into the conversation happening in their mind, that's how you start. That's how you grab their attention. That's how you're like, hold on. They're going to say to themselves, how does, how does Corey know so much about my situation? Mm. All of a sudden, they're going to start paying attention. And when they start paying attention, that's when you can start adding the other stuff we just talked about in, but not until you've shown, you know, that famous saying, people um, won't care until you show them how much you care, like something along those lines. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's the essence of marketing. If I were to, if I were to distill marketing, uh, like if I were to, you know, distill it all down, it's, it's one word, it's empathy. I think the better you understand your market, i.e. empathy, the better off all of your stuff is going to land. And then the second piece we talked about is share more of what you believe rather than just what you know. I'm stealing that quote for the record. Share what you believe, not what you know. I'm going to use that. That's really good. Um, Here, here's another one if you want. Yeah. Get paid for what you know, not what you do. Get paid for what you know, not what you do. Mm. Okay, so slight distinction. So in our world of, you know, let's say a chiropractor comes to work with us and we're not helping them adjust people over Zoom. Like that's, that's, that would be amazing. They have to think to themselves like, well, what am I supposed to do online if I can't adjust people? And I, I get them to think about the fact that like, how long did you spend in school? How many years did you spend in chiropractic college plus undergrad? Minimum eight. Do you think there might be one thing in there that you could really be good at teaching and guiding people through in some way, shape, or form with respect to their health. And when we start thinking about things differently, we may have already had patients like that in the clinic that, you know, we just happen to be really good at helping people with plantar fasciitis. And we have a chiropractor client right now, and she decided to focus, although in her clinic, a lot of it was, you know, just a bit of everything, because that's you know, the way most of it goes, when she came to work with us, you know, we helped her really identify, like, if you could identify like one type of person that you could really have one condition, what would that be? And it took her a little bit of, you know, a couple of days to figure this out. But then she said, like, one of my best clients, like in person was a runner who was dealing with plantar fasciitis. And I asked her, I was like, that's amazing. Cause that's an incredible market because people with plantar fasciitis want it resolved yesterday. Like they can't even walk properly. So I asked her, I'm like, how confident are you in delivering results online? So if you never touch someone, could you extract what you know about self, um, you know, myofascial release, self-massage, stretches, exercises to guide someone through on their own, right? So they would follow some type of curriculum, but then you layer your coaching and support on top of that. Like what, you know, can you see that happening? And she's like, oh my God, like, she's like, yeah, totally. Like, this is what I would normally do with, you know, people in person, but they don't need to do all this stuff with me in person because they can do it virtually. And so that's what I'm, what I'm saying is like, learn how to extract your process and productize it. Mm. Right. And then you layer that productization or that curriculum. Sorry, my watch is ringing. I don't know why it's ringing. And layer on top of that, your accountability, your coaching, your support. And when you do that, now you have a process that other people that eventually, you know, you can hire to work with you, they can learn your methodology and they can support you and, you know, helping your clients and allow, that allows you to help more people without everyone relying on you because most health practitioners are like the, the X factor, like no one else can do what I do. Like, well, that's kind of a double-edged sword. So if you can extract what you do and help others through that process, then you can also teach others to help you serve more people. And now you get out of your own way. You don't burn out as much and you have more time in your life. 
Yeah, it actually reminds me of a conversation I just had with another physical therapist yesterday who he's been practicing as a physical therapist for, I think it's like 20 years. He's now in Austin, Texas. And, uh, and he's talking about how he's having issues with uh, selling his business because he realizes is that he's always been the one that's literally seeing the patients, establishing the relationships. He's the face. If he leaves, all of his clients are going to leave. And so there's like no way that he can sell the business. And so now he's in this new phase of his business of learning essentially how to create a brand. And even to your point of like how to essentially take him out of it and he's getting better at it. Don't get me wrong. There's the fun side of the story of he's learning how to hire other people and do the things that he was doing. And he's slowly inching his way out of this business, but that wasn't until 20 plus years of doing this. So for anybody listening, hopefully you can learn that lesson a little bit earlier on to Yuri's point about take the knowledge you have. And I think what you're getting at here is like, yeah, there's a, there's a level of your business of where you're doing the craft, you're learning the trade, but eventually you're stepping back from that and you're more into a coaching or consulting role and you're allowing somebody else maybe to step into that role for you. What would you say would be the next step after that? Is then, is it, are you hiring other consultants or what does that look like? I think it depends on the type of business you want to operate. You know, some, if we think of most health professionals in, in the purest sense, we're taught to be technicians. We're not taught to be business owners. So like the, I mean, I think contractors are a great example because I mean, apparently we've had a lot of contractors that are just terrible business owners, but they're really good at what they do. Right. So it's okay. Number one, do you want to be the technician? If so, you like, just understand you have a job. You don't have a business. Even if you own the business, the business really owns you because if you're not there and you don't get paid and your patients don't get helped, it's a job. Okay. So that's, that's totally fine. As long as you just acknowledge the situation, the flip side to that is, well, do I want to be the business owner? The business owner is someone who can leverage systems and people and money to create more impact without necessarily being involved in every step of the process. So I think really the the first step is identifying, are you the artist, the technician, or are you the entrepreneur, the business owner? And you might be a little bit of both. Like I am definitely a bit of both. I am like when I do all my personal, like personality profiles, I'm a creator. That's, you know, that's my profile. But for me, creation is, it evolves. Like it, sometimes it's like I enjoy creating content, but I also really enjoy creating systems that allow us to scale and help more people. Mm-hmm. So I get really excited about the, the engineering of the business of like, how do I hire the right people and put them in this you know, particular type of setup so that we can achieve these objectives. And if that's something like, but again, that wasn't something that I enjoyed or even thought about 20 years ago. Like I was just like, you know, how do I help more people lose weight? So I think you have to go through your own evolution process and get to the point where you, you have clarity about who you are. And then second is, well, where do I want to be? Right. Where do I want to be in three, four or five years from now? And if that is continuing to pump out, you know, a hundred patient visits a week. Cool. If it's, I want to reduce that, then what, what does that look like alternatively? If you want to reduce the patient load in terms of your time, I'm sure you don't want the revenue to go down. So how do you keep revenue where it is or growing? And how do you build the people processes systems to support that? Hmm. So I think, you know, part of it is we all, I think self-awareness is probably the most important leadership skill for any of us. We're all leaders of our own lives at the minimum to be aware of like who we are, how we operate. And then secondly, clarity of vision, like clarity of where you want to go is massively important because when we jump into things too quickly, a lot of times maybe we haven't taken the time to think about what the end result looks like or what we want to achieve or create. And I'm not saying deliberate and procrastinate forever. I'm saying just do a little bit of thinking to look to think about like, why am I doing this? What does the outcome look like? Does this make sense? Cool. And then you're not supposed to know how to do all that stuff. You're not supposed to know how to fill in the gaps. Our goal as the leader is to focus on the what and the why. Instead of asking how, it's really about asking who. Who can support me get there? Uh, who can support me to get there? Who can I learn from who's done this already? Who can I hire that has the skill set that complements what I'm good at or not good at? 
and starting to build that type of team around you. Because otherwise, if it's only us, there's only so much we can do. So I think it's really an evolution of understanding where you are, where you want to go and looking at what are some of the gaps around you that you can start filling with the right people. Yeah. I think uh, to speak for my listeners, I think that a lot of people probably listening to this show are, I don't think there'd be anybody that doesn't want to have that more of a uh, cash cow, one might say, of their business essentially being able to run for them. I think a lot of people probably enjoy, like you, enjoy their craft. They enjoy what they do. Obviously, most people in healthcare are pretty fulfilled for the most part, assuming they're not burnt out and overwhelmed. But they probably want to get to that point of they have their business more or less running without them. What would you recommend to them of maybe initial steps or things to be asking or things to look into if they would want to basically start to step away from the actual um, trade work or the actual day-to-day work and start figuring out those systems? Is it like a matter of just like writing out SOPs? Is it a matter of hiring your first employee? Like, like what do those steps look like? Yeah. So really it becomes a delivery issue. Like delivery is always going to be the biggest bottleneck to growth. Like once you figure out the acquisition piece and luckily in a brick and mortar, it's somewhat easier to fill that based on foot traffic, word of mouth, et cetera. But you're always going to, like all businesses in a service-based business will run into bottlenecks on delivery. So what that means is kind of going back to what we talked about earlier is, okay, I know how to produce results for clients. So then the, the first most important question we have to ask is, of all the different clients we can serve, what is the single target market that we want to specialize in? Because if you do not specialize in one single target market, it is impossible or near impossible to scale delivery because now every client is a special snowflake and everyone has their own individual situations and protocols and et cetera. And that's, that's fine, right? We want to definitely acknowledge the individual, but I mean, you know, this Corey, like if, if you have 20 conversations with someone about losing weight, you're repeating yourself like 90% of the time, right? So less calories. Yeah, exactly. Like whatever your philosophy, let's just use weight loss as an example. So let's say you specialize like out of all the different conditions you could help with. You're like, you know what? I'm really good at helping women around menopause lose weights, right? The last 10 pounds or the first 20 or whatever it is. Okay, cool. Like how do you do that? Right? Really extract your process. We talked about productizing your service. Like, so really extract, what is my recipe? What, like when someone comes in, what's the first thing we do? What, what do I have them do when they leave? What does the follow-up schedule plan look like? And if there is none, there is one. You just have to capture it somehow. And if the plan is, yeah, they just come in and see me whenever they want, you probably want to think about that plan a little bit better, right? Well, if, if you could dictate the plan, what would it be? Would it be once a week, twice a week? If they saw you once a week or twice a week, what do they do between to make progress before they see you? And really starting to map that out. Another way to think of this is I call this the, the book method. So if you were to write a book, if a publisher came to you and said, okay, you've been doing amazing work in your clinic, you've helped thousands of people lose weight, we want you to write a book. They're going to ask you to write a book. And in that book, they're going to be very specific about, well, people need to have a plan that they're going to follow. What is the plan you're going to write about in the book? And I apologize. My camera is kind of like zooming in and out of focus. I don't know what's going on here. You're fine. Um, but think about that plan in the book. Like first step is this, then this, then this, then this. That becomes the plan of how you help people because at some level you've thought about what that is. So when you think of you want to step out of the doing into more of like the leading and growing the team, for instance, then you have something that you can then teach and train other people. And you're essentially, you've created a methodology and now you can hire, teach and coach others on how to run that methodology. Now we're just talking about like, just on the, the um, deliveries specifically. So that I would say would be one of the first things is always looking at how can I replicate myself in others in the sense of your methodology. And then obviously there's gonna be basic, you know, SOPs and procedures about like how to check people in, what is the front desk, you know, in, in a brick and mortar setup look like? What does that conversation look like? Billing, blah, blah, blah. So you want to think of like, what are the things you're doing right now? If you're a solo practitioner, the things, especially that you don't like doing, it could be the admin, could be all that kind of stuff. Take some time, literally take 
just if you're going to do it, just map it out as you're doing it. Because if you think of, if I map this out, okay, first thing I do is I go here and then I do this and then I do this. It's like tedious when you do it. But just remember that if you create this SOP document, it's your ticket to freedom at some mm. point in the future. You're literally writing your, your airplane ticket to freedom so that someone else is going to do this for you. And if there's one thing I, I don't regret, regret anything in my life, but I wish I had done more SOPs from day one, but I didn't even know that, right? So, because it would have saved me a tremendous amount of time and, and whatever. But it's really, it's again, it's, it's putting on a different cap. It's thinking like the business owner as opposed to the technician. So it's really about, okay, am I in technician mode? Am I seeing people all the time? I'm working in the business. The business owner is kind of putting on a different cap and thinking about working on the business. If I were to hire someone else to do what I do, how would they know what to do? All right, let me write this out. And when you bring that person on, whenever that is, they have stuff to follow. And now they can be more successful, which is good for them. That's good for you. So SOPs are definitely part of it. So I think between the delivery side and then the operational side is doing your best to map out what those things are. And, or if you have other people in those roles already is have them map out their SOPs as well. Create a massive, uh, not a massive, but a master playbook for your business. So when any new employee comes on, it's like, here's the playbook for this role. Here's how we do this. Here's how we do this. And it's like, it's kind of like McDonaldizing your business, if you will, but that's how you create freedom. Yeah. For anybody listening, um, if you haven't already written it down, definitely find an hour in your schedule to start figuring out your SOPs, AKA, as Yuri would say, your airplane ticket to freedom. I like that expression. Um, Or at least just start with one, like just start with one thing, right? Just get the ball rolling for sure. Yeah. Uh, And to kind of go off of that, to add on top of that, what would you, how does somebody know when to bring on their first employee or contract or VA or whatever you want to call them? Yeah, I think you have to balance revenue and workload. So I was just speaking with a client earlier and I said, um, you know, he was trying to move away from doing a lot of the like discovery slash enrollment calls. And I said, okay, cool. Like I understand that, you know, we eventually want to move out of that. And I said, okay, well, what's your goal, you know, over the next three months? He was like, well, if I can bring on, you know, four or five clients a month, that'd be great. So he's he's selling something higher ticket, 6,000. Um, price point. And I said, cool. How many calls do you have to have in order to make that happen? And he's like, well, it's like, I figured I'd give my ma- a maximum of 16. Hold on, I'm like 16 per month or per week. And he said per month. I was like, that's four calls a week. You're telling me the most you, the most you can do is four calls a week. What if, what if you did like can we just say two calls a day? Would that be okay? Like that's only two hours time slots of your time. So I share this because he's talking about hiring someone and I'm like, dude, you haven't even hit capacity. Like you have to build your capacity to the point where you've done this enough and you no longer want to do it again before you can even worry about hiring someone else. So number one is you don't have the revenue yet to hire someone. So therefore you should do it yourself. So you build the revenue up. And then in the process of doing that, you're going to be like, man, I don't have a lot of time left in my day. Cool. At that point, it makes sense to hire that person who can support you in that role. When I first started my business, I did probably five or six hours a day of enrollment calls. It was brutal. I mean, I, I enjoyed doing it and you know, I, I, was, I was good at it, but I'm like, I can't keep doing this forever. I would finish the day. I couldn't even talk anymore. But I had to go through that process in order to then hire our, our enrollment team. So I think you have to go through a period of time where you like at least understand and, and I don't want to say master, but are very proficient in the role and especially sales, like sales slash enrollment, I would say is one of the last things you should get off your plate because it has the highest leverage um, revenue wise for your business. So although people want to offload sales, even if it's in person, it's like, that's probably the most important thing you can do until you can no longer do it from a time perspective. Because if you bring someone else in, they're not gonna be as good as you. So you might as well just maximize what you can do until you don't wanna do it or can't do it anymore. And then you can train someone up to do that in the meantime. Now, I would say one of the first hires most 
business owners are probably want to be considering, definitely the first thing is just look at making a list. On one side, you have like a sheet of paper split into one side, you have uh, literally a handful of activities. You can call this genius zone, 5%, whatever you want to call it. And these are like the three, four, maybe five things you love doing and you know produce the biggest impact in your business. And everything else on the other side is all the stuff you don't want to do. Now, all the stuff you don't want to do, you're going to look at what are the things that are like admin menial tasks, $10, $15 an hour tasks. That becomes your first hire. From a financial perspective, you know, you can bring on a full-time admin assistant or VA for, you know, anywhere from, you know, a thousand to 2000 a month. And that's going to free up a tremendous amount of time and bandwidth for you mentally. So you can focus on the bigger things that actually move the needle. So I would say that's probably the first hire. And again, depends on the nature of the business. If it's virtual, definitely a VA, if it's brick and mortar, it could be a front desk office manager, you know, admin type of person. I would say one of the second hires is usually going to be on the delivery side. So again, in brick and mortar, it could be um, a health coach. It could be a coach in the office that supports some of your clients. Same idea virtually. I would say that one of the last things you get off your plate is going to be the sales piece. Just keep generating money, like keep making money, keep bringing people in. And then you'll get to a point where you have, you know, a full glass, you have profit. And then you're like, you know what? I think I'm good on this. I'm going to start hiring someone else to do this. And now I have a proven track record of how I can build them up and train them. And I have the, the cushion financially to do that. I think hiring too soon is a big mistake. So yeah, so that, that would be my, my best advice on that. I think, uh, I just want to thank you for hitting a home run on this idea of sales. I've been sitting on this post I've been wanting to do for a while now about how I think what most people don't realize that when they start a business is that they just hired themselves as the salesman of a business. I think so often we forget, and, and I want to bring that up just real quickly, because I think that sales has a very negative annotation built around it. I think whenever I say the word, I think of uh, the used car salesman from the movie Matilda, if you've ever seen that movie. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate because that's really not what it is at all, because we all do it every day in every interaction and in every conversation that we have is we have what is quote unquote sales, even if it's talking to your child and to going to the bathroom or eating something healthy or your friend on your favorite movie or Netflix show is that's all forms of sales, right? It's just conversations and influence and persuasion. And, and I think people forget that. And so I'm glad that you hit a home run on that of like, if you are trying to scale your business is hold on to that role for a while. One, just because it's the lifeblood of your business, but two, because that's a skill that will carry on with you for the rest of your life in amazing and wonderful ways. And so if you can build that up, that's amazing. And, okay. and just on that note, like I, I do think, although health professionals have a bit of a negative connotation with it, I would say every health professional is an amazing salesperson because they have a core belief in some way, shape, or form of what they're doing and how it impacts other people. And if you can just share that message, like, here's how we're going to do things. Like you're just transferring your conviction into someone else who has less of it. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. And it's not like we're selling like pyramid schemes or, or whatever, like whatever negative things are out there. You're fundamentally changing someone's life. Yeah. You should never do that for free. Like, don't be, don't like be okay with that. Yeah, you're you're selling arguably the most important thing on the planet is our health and well-being. Yeah. <laughs> so totally agree. Uh, That's all. No big deal. I love you. <laughs> um, one final question before I ask that question. Um, where can people find you? Obviously, healthpreneur.com. You're on Instagram. You have a YouTube channel, I know. Anywhere else people can find out or find out more about you? Uh, yeah, the website just uh, real quick is healthpreneurgroup.com. Mm. Some random person in Asia, I think, has the park domain healthpreneur.com. So at some point we'll, we'll investigate that. But um, I'd say, honestly, the best place is Instagram. Just find healthpreneur. And that's that's me. That's where I'm most active with uh, interacting with our audience. And then you can find me on YouTube as well. Uh, if you enjoy this, I basically put up, uh, I think, three videos a week. Again, that's at healthpreneur on YouTube. Yeah. And it's just like, again, like if, if you enjoy this, there's tons of content and tons of ways to support, you know, health professionals build their dreams. So, yeah. And your accolades are incredible. So from somebody that 
best-selling author, seven-figure businesses. You've helped a lot of people. You're very familiar with both the health and the business side of this industry. Um, so let's say you were earlier on and you were talking to your younger self and you wanted to give them a piece of advice of somebody of maybe they're, maybe they're still in practice. Maybe they're working at a clinic. Maybe they're working for somebody else. They just, they want to find a way to kind of break free, set loose um, this new path into entrepreneurship and start a business in the health and fitness industry. What's maybe the best piece of advice you could give to somebody just to kind of get started and moving in the right direction? Pay for better friends. So let me, let me qualify this. Never be afraid to invest in yourself. Never be afraid to invest in your business. And what ends up happening is that proximity is power, as Tony Robbins says. Do not be afraid to invest in events, masterminds, experiences that are going to put you in the same room with people that are ahead of where you want to be. Because I would say, and if I were like to really like link everything, everything that has happened in my business has in some way, shape, or form come from a relationship. And when I struggled for the first three years of my business, so 2006 to 2009, poverty line income for three years is when I decided I was going to do everything by myself. And I was going to be a hermit. I didn't need to talk to anyone. It didn't work out well. The next year, 2010, I said, I'm going to start going to some events. I'm going to hire my first coach. And that's exactly what happened. I paid more for my coach than I made in the previous year. And I'm not talking like this coach was not $150,000. Okay. Like it was nowhere close to that. So in my experience, just do what you can to put yourself in environments around other successful people, because you will rise up to that level and it's going to accelerate your growth in a dramatic fashion. So maybe that's local meetups, maybe it's joining a coaching group or whatever, just put yourself in those environments because you will become your environments. Damn it, Yuri. I, I totally agree with this advice, but there's, a, I don't know if you know what South by Southwest is. So I live down yeah. in Austin, Texas, and that's going to be apparently happening this year, live version. And I've been on the ropes about like, it's pretty expensive to go to it, arguably. And uh, really? I've been on the ropes. I see, I know. See, this is, this is where I knew this is going. Throw it on the credit card and figure it out later. I'm telling you, like, it'll be okay. Before you go, I just want to say thank you for listening to the show, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you're looking for more advice on how to market your health business and need help with your website, you can find all my information at coreyhigh.com. Thanks again, and keep hustling, my friends.